This sermon was preached by guest speaker Eric Trebetsky on Sunday, September 10th, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. It's so good to be with you, be with your guys yesterday, your pastors. Um, greetings from all your sister churches. If, you, if, you're not, if you're new to this church or you know, you're a guest or whatever you're catching, there's been a number of mentions of sister churches. We're part of a family of churches, and in particular, uh, just representing the, the, our, your sister churches throughout the western U- U.S., just send in your greetings. You bring us joy, particularly uh, the, the Southern California Sovereign Grace Churches. Seeing you here brings us much joy. To see Tom here, who is a part of another sister church, to see Tim just barren, serious evangelistic fruit. And um, you don't know this. Uh, you know, in California, we have this, well, maybe you pay attention out here too, but we pay attention to our carbon footprint, you know, like what's our, I don't know, maybe you guys just burn whatever you want, but we're very, got to be serious about wh- how we're affecting the environment. And so you can see in everything you do, it's kind of like, well, if you do this, you take this flight, you drive your car, you, here's your carbon footprint, how much carbon you've burnt. And uh, it tells you kind of how big, of the world you're burning and using. Uh, your, I'll call it gospel footprint, your, the, your gospel ministry footprint as a church is, is much larger than you're aware. Uh, and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do it justice this morning, but in particular, the, the church in Orange, I get to serve, you heard of uh, serving as the regional leader, just pulling all these sister churches together and helping us partner together. Well, the, every regional leader and, and my church needs a regional leader, and apparently my team didn't think I was a good regional leader for my own team, uh, didn't trust me enough. So we went out looking for what we termed the fake regional leader, the, uh, a fake regional leader. And, and Derek and his wife Donna, your pastor, were our dr- number one first round draft pick. Uh, he said yes, and so we've begun a relationship. So I get to serve as a regional leader. Derek is an underground, like, fake regional leader. And uh, just one, one example, one little insight into the things that you are, your ministry is bearing fruit, uh, you might say, global. Uh, definitely in the West, definitely throughout the United States, you are uh, not only much loved as, as a congregation, you look around and you see your four walls and who knows, we're here in Tucson. You're, you're much loved by many of your sister churches. You're bearing serious fruit in churches like mine in Orange. So thank you for sharing. Uh, you really are. You're, you're sharing your life in Christ with us, and we're just so grateful. Um, now, I do want to encourage you, if you would turn with me uh, in your Bibles to first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you, uh, the second letter to the Corinthians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, you don't have a Bible, if you've got a device, just Google it, 2 Corinthians 5. It doesn't even matter if you spell it right, you'll find it. Um, I, w- I want this morning for us to consider, I want to encourage us to consider a familiar passage of Scripture, uh, nothing new or novel. The Apostle Paul is defending his apostleship, his role in the early church. He's explaining to the church what it is that God has commissioned him to do, and that by implication we are called to do what we're about as well. And uh, as we read the text, let me just encourage you, watch as we read the text, Look out for how many therefores are in just these few brief verses. There are more therefores, per, you might say square inch, in the, uh, uh, per square inch, any, it, he, really here than anywhere else in, the, in 2 Corinthians, perhaps in the entire New Testament. There are so many therefores. This is, and and this, is, this proves to be, maybe you might say, uh, one of those, what is the meaning of my life kind of passages. 
the therefores of why I exist. So Paul's apostolic defense that serves doubly as your commission as Christians, as Sovereign Grace Church, if you would please stand with me and we'll read the text. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, the translator heading in the English Standard Version reads, reads the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart, verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, take these words, these sentences, and with your spirit, would you change us? Would you open our eyes? Would you breathe new life in this into this room, into our hearts, into the one who is not yet reconciled to you? Lord, I pray you would do the miracle of regeneration and rebirth and give faith. Father, change us that we would leave this property differently than we arrived not because of this service or because of what I would say, but because of these words and the power of your spirit. Father, fill us. Fill me with your spirit. Father, Father, fill this room with your spirit that we might understand and change. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, America is bored. Uh, listen, we are bored. I don't know about you out in Orange, California. We're bored. Actually, recent studies, listen, recent studies indicate that on average, the typical American, I don't know who these people are, it might be you, are bored. They, the typical American experiences boredom 131 days out of every year. 
Scientists have been studying this because they already know how bad, they know how bad boredom is for us and for our society. And, and if you're wondering how they measure, the scientists measure boredom, well, let me tell you, it's really funny. There are all kinds of experiments where you, they put you in a room, don't do anything, but if you push this button, you get shocked and it hurts. And they know it's going to get shocked, but after 10 or 12 minutes of being bored, you push the button and get shocked and you get hurt because you're just bored. Actually, there's one of the leading scientists. This is what they do. They have a video. They put you in a room and they show you a video. This video, listen, this is how it goes. It's, it begins with two men who stand in a white windowless room. And you're watching this. Silently, this is so weird, they take clothes from a pile and between them they hang them on a white rack. A shirt, a sweater, a sock, underwear. The seconds are ticking by on this video, 15, 20, 40, 60 seconds. The men just keep hanging laundry, right? 80 seconds. One of the men asks the other man for a clothespin. You just got to sit there and watch this video. They, they keep hanging laundry. They keep hanging laundry. And the video goes on for over five minutes. And unsurprisingly, after they're watching the video for five or so minutes, they ask they ask the, the viewer a question. <laughs> Do you feel stuck in a situation that feels irrelevant? <laughs> and unsurprisingly, the answer, yes, they, they are diagnosed as clinically bored. <laughs> Which, funny enough, is the way I feel when your pastor, when your pastor talks about the Denver Broncos. Uh, <laughs> cl <laughs> clinically bored. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh -huh. Listen, how about us as a church? Are, are you bored? Are we bored? How, how would you answer the question? Think about your life. Think about this church. Think about your life in the church and with your friends and with your brothers and sisters and your work and your school and all those things. Do you feel stuck in a situation that feels irrelevant? You feel stuck in a situation. Are you bored? I, I got one goal this morning. One goal this morning to remind myself and you, to remind us of how unboring this thing is that you and I are called to do. A life, listen, our lives, they're full of wonder, worthy of devoting, we have a, a life and a calling that is worthy of devoting everything we have to pledge ourselves body and soul to. If you, if you want the kind of staying power to be a Christian, and I don't know about you, but I see a lot of people that seem to, they just seem to fall away. They get, they get bored. If you want the sustaining power as you play your part, we're all swept up into God's redemptive purposes and plans here in Tucson, in California, out into the world. We must, for our own, own good, begin to marvel more and more at our mission. What, what it is that we've been put on this planet to do. When we read, when we read like we are Today, God make, is making his appeal through us. Our first questions, like if you want sustained power, can't be, they shouldn't be, like, like when and where, get out a map, let's, let's draw something. It, it it, instead, it needs to be, why would God be making an appeal at all? Why would God make an appeal at all? Why is this even a thing that you and I are called to do? Why is God making an appeal at all? This, listen, this is what the, the marvelous part of our mission is. This is the marvelous part of the mission of God that is so often overlooked. God may, is making his appeal to sinful men, through sinful men, like women and, and children and young men and older men, an appeal 
that there can, there's an offer of forgiveness for every sin. Salvation for anyone who will receive and believe the Son relenting and repenting from our sin, experiencing the beginnings of a new creation in a created order, and then joining God in this marvelous mission over again. That, that this is a thing at all should, should surprise us. So that's, that's all I got this morning, is, is, is to help us marvel again at this mission, the marvelous mission of God. Would you look with me at verse 11 again? Uh, th three why questions. Instead of a map and a strategy, three why questions. As we consider our mission, number one, why would God persuade? This will make you marvel. Like, why would God persuade? Verse 11 again, look. Therefore, Paul writes, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Stop right there. This is, this is interesting. It's an interesting business that the apostle Paul is conducting for in one hand, he is no way communicating that he's been attempting to, to impress them, the Corinthians, or to sell them on something with a slick presentation and some slides and innovative argument. No, quite the opposite. That's why this text is here. He's actually contrasting himself with these other so-called super apostles at the, at the time which the Corinthians had been attracted to. That's why he continues in the middle of verse 11, if you look. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Not your expectations. This isn't a really fancy presentation. It's not meeting your standards. But internally, spiritually, discerningly, in your hearts, Paul is saying the power of God is at work through the plain preaching of Christ and Christ crucified, and it's being authenticated, and you can agree with him. Verse 12, we're not commending ourselves to you. Again, but giving you cause to boast about us, which would be even more perplexing. Why? It seems as if he is saying my persuasion is about my ministry. But Paul's saying boast about us. He's more like you can boast about the work of God through Paul and his associates. In spite of Paul and his associates, the Corinthians, Paul is saying, if they were honest, would admit, as, as he explains earlier in his chapter, chapter 4, we sang a little bit about it. Well, we have these treasures we have this treasure in, a jar, in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Or I, I love how one scholar interprets this. He translates this little passage right here. He says, we have been made a theater show for the world. Made a theater show for the world. We're not commending ourselves, verse 12, to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, what God has done so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what's in the heart. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is, right mind, it is for you. Paul is, Paul is persuading. But in his persuading, he is not trusting in his power of persuasion, but the Lord's. Which brings me back to my question. If God is able to save, and he is, and you catch that little phrase actually there in the knowing the fear of the Lord, if you see, saw that there, knowing that God is sovereign and does whatever he pleases and this surely extends to his mission to ransom people from every nation for his son and for his good pleasure, if that's the case, God can save, and it is, then why is he persuading anyone? Why is he persuading when he could simply decree? Right? He could decree. He could just do it. Unilaterally. Listen, this is, this is why you marvel. This is the greater 
glory causes us to marvel in the mission. God himself creates us, but we reject him. This is the big story, right? The plot. He doesn't simply then like turn the game board over and shuffle the pieces and restart the game. He sets out to win us. That's, that's his whole book's about this. He sets out to win us like a bridegroom sets out to win his bride. All his power engaging us. All head, heart, and soul. I love, I love how another author, Richard Phillips, uh, he says it so well when he says, this irresistible persuasion glorifies the entire trinity. Listen to what he says. By proving how intimately involved God is in every conversion. Why, does, why is he persuading? How intimately God is in every conversion. It reminds us, this power of persuasion, that when we speak about God's grace, we do not mean that God sits afar, but rather God places his holy hands on our filthy hearts. With more personal contact than a surgeon uses in operating on our bodies, God is intimately involved in saving our souls. Hey, listen to what he says. How sublime, Richard Phillips writes, beyond words it is to realize that this transcendent, majestic God takes such a personal interest in every sinner who comes to faith in Christ. Right? He's not dropping the hammer. He's persuading. Far from being a nameless number in a vast crowd, every believer has been personally ministered to by God's overwhelming grace. Persuasion. Truly he is to us Phillips writes, as a father is to his dear children, which is the Christian name for God. Father. God, God could just drop the hammer and save a few. But instead he woos. He woos. Why, why, why? Have you considered this? Why would God persuade us when he's sovereign, has no rival, is all-powerful? Because, because in the tension of his sovereignty and our responsibility, human responsibility, which demonstrates our dignity and reveals his glory, we have been created in his image, we're image bearers, he, yet he still he persuades us. As Paul the Apostle was persuaded and and you and I have been persuaded, and so many have been persuaded. On the evening when I was born again, listen, it felt like it was my decision. I decided to follow Christ. My conclusion, my salvation, as if, as if the preacher had preached the gospel invitation just one more time, and my heart and my life, it just dissolved into a puddle of tears. Maybe it was his convincing speech, his persuasion. No, no, in the end, it was the Lord persuading and then conquering my heart for his greater glory. What a marvelous design. This is who you are, an ambassador of this. You, he is wooing, even as he decrees. But number two, this leads us to another question. Second question, why would God love? Now, why, why would God love? Look again, verse uh, 14 and following. Paul writes, for the love of Christ controls us. 
because we have concluded this. This is what we think, that one has died for all, Christ, therefore all have died, and he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Notice here, now listen, Lotus, Paul's explanation for why he is being poured out like a drink offering, he describes why, why is he doing this? Why is he living for what he's living for? Is it not located, listen, in his hearers? He doesn't say, for the love of you, the Corinthians controls me. No. He doesn't say, you can't interpret this, oh, Sovereign Grace Church, for the love of Tucson controls you. Or for me, as much as I love Californians and for their sake, you know, I'm enduring endless summers and cool breezes. Uh, (laughs) For the love of Californians controls me, though I love my neighbors, I love Californians this is way better. This will make you marvel. You can't stoke enough affections for the city of Tucson and your neighbors. But listen, marvel at our mission. It's not even that Paul loves Jesus so much that he's willing to do this. Why would he love? It is that God loves us in the first place. That controls him. He loves us. Why would, why would God love? Because it's who he is. Welcome to the Father, Son, and Spirit. He loves. He is love. Michael Reeves, in his wonderful book about the Trinity, Delighting in the Trinity, he states, that, like, comparing our, our God, the God, the Lord, to all the other so-called gods, this is what he writes, here is a God who is not essentially lonely. He doesn't need us. He isn't lonely. Here is a God who is not essentially lonely, the Trinity, but who has been loving all for all of eternity as the Father has loved the Son and the Spirit. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for God at all. Michael Reeves says, it is the root of who he is. How marvelous. How marvelous. These are the kinds of things that will make you excited about evangelism and church planting and parenting. He's being a small group leader, being present in the lives of your neighbors who don't respect you for your faith, though you've been convinced and you see the world differently and are perishing nevertheless, controlled by the fact that God loves. What else can I do? Not because we are lovely, (laughs) but because even while we were still his enemies. Our Savior considered his saving us his delight. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, right? If you know your Bibles, let us run with endurance. Right? Have the, the stay power to keep doing this for 20, 30, 40, 50 years into our later years of life. Let us run with endurance the race that is set, of, set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What a strange comment. And, that, and it's, a, it's a great commission 
statement, if you know your Bible. It's a great commission statement. It's everywhere. The great commission is everywhere in your Bible because it is a, a missional document, the story of how God is saving the world, who for the joy, our Savior, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because he loves, look, verse 14, verse 14 again, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, Therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me suggest that right here, right here may be the missing factor in the life of a believer that finds it hard to make everyday decisions to be a persuasion to the lost. Right there. As one author wrote, perhaps the root cause of our lack of engagement in God's mission is not a missions problem. This is why I think this is, this is, this is why I think you're excelling in this and we're seeing fruit in your church. The root cause of our lack of engagement in God's mission is not a missions problem, but a gospel problem. We demonstrate it by our inaction, by our interaction, inaction that we no longer marvel. We are unaffected by the beauty of what God has done for us in Christ. And so we live for some other goal. We get bored and we move on for some other purpose. What's your, what's your life mission statement? I don't have one. <laughs> we feel stuck in a situation that feels irrelevant. Gotta get this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. There's a mission statement. You wanna be a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, wanna be a deacon, wanna be a small group leader, wanna be an evangelist, you wanna be, a, you wanna be married, you wanna be a parent, you wanna, you wanna be someone who's loves their neighbors, is involved in their community, even in relative obscurity with no fanfare. Once you, you, want to be, you, you want to be a Christian, faithfully following Christ, not falling away as so many do. you got to fill up on this mystery so long hidden now revealed that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in harmony together from all eternity has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ who agreed with the Father to enter your dark world, live for you, die for you, and be raised out of the grave for you, that he might demonstrate his love for you and save you and redeem you and reconcile you and invite you into his world and his mission. As Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan guy, this is what he says, one of my favorite things he's, Jonathan Edwards ever wrote, right? He says, there is in heaven, I'm sure some of you have heard this, there is in heaven this fountain of love. This is beautiful. There is in heaven this fountain of love, this eternal three in one, it's God himself, that without any obstacle to hinder access to it in heaven, there in heaven this glorious God manifested and shines forth in glory and beams of love 
He writes, there is the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight, even enough for all to drink and to swim in. Yes, he writes, so as to overflow the world as if it were a deluge of love, a flood of love. How can you? How can I? How can I, if I bathe in this fountain of love, hold back then to my neighbor, my coworker, my classmate? Why, why choose to live for something else? And that's, that's, that's why Paul writes, look, verse 16. He sees the whole world differently now. You, we, we see the whole world differently now. Verse 16, he says, from now on, therefore, because of this love that's constraining us, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't see you like you once, I once saw you. Even though we once regarded Christ, we saw him according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, resurrection power. We're watching it happen. Dead men walking. This rem- Listen, this reminds me. I don't know about you, but COVID was pretty rough out in California. I just told the guys, COVID's still around. If you, if you don't believe in it, you're in Arizona. That's what the Californians think. The Arizona doesn't believe in COVID. But, uh, and maybe you don't believe in COVID, but I just got COVID like two weeks ago. And, I, and when I finally figured out it was COVID, I was like, no way, there's still COVID. But, but during COVID, at times, a little bit struggling. I'm out in Orange County under the tyranny of California. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying to make sense of it all. And this old hymn became really special for me. It, it, it actually became a, a motto for me that I would speak. I like, to, I like to have like mantras that I just speak to myself, either it's a verse or a phrase or whatever it is, to get, just to get my bearings straight. And here was the one. Here's the one. I was questioning, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, holed up in my house. Experiencing a midlife crisis, I think. Here's the old hymn. Maybe one of you have heard it. Here's the first line. I know that my Redeemer lives. I won't sing it. My, what comfort this sweet sentence gives. Not just stop right there and say, I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. He lives to bless me with his love. He lives to plead my cause above. We sang that this morning. He lives to crush the fiends of hell. You get that one tattooed. He lives and doth within me dwell. We sang that this morning. And here comes the chorus. This is the part that I love. Shout on. Can you picture an old church singing this? Shout on. Pray on. We're gaining ground. And then there's the line. The dead's alive and the lost are found. Glory. Hallelujah. Listen, if you've lost the plot, lost the plot verse 18 it's right there paul makes it clear he says all this is from god it's not something you're gonna do yourself all this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself so that the chief and final answer to the question especially when it comes to why he loves us in the first place that by his loving us we would love him and then we would enjoy him on earth and heaven for his greater glory that's the kind of fuel that will that will fire a furnace that will keep a church warm to the lost in her beloved city for you for tucson for me in orange why would he why is he persuading for his glory. Why, why is he loving? For his glory. Last question. Last question. Why would he send us? 
Why would he send you? You got to be real here before we look at the text. Why you? Why us? Why me? Why the church? Why employ us in his persuasion and his loving others? What does my changed life, what does my local church have to do with anyone else's potential eternal changed life? And we read it again. We, if you read it again, verse 18, he explains it. All this is from God. All that he has done, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, your sins, against you, and entrusting to us, why us, the message of reconciliation, therefore, and there you go, there's your mission statement. I'm an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal through me. Why? Here's my answer. Why not? None of this has met my expectations so far. Has it met yours? After abolishing the condemnation that, that, that I would have justly incurred on, on, account of, on account of my sin, he turns around then and offers me and my ransom life as a showcase, a theater show for the world of what he does for the rest of the watching world. We, you, are his persuasion. You're in Christ. You are his persuasion. We are his representatives. We are trophies of grace on a shelf called planet Earth. We're his ambassadors. Mar marvel at the mechanics of, of God's mission. See the gears turn. Whether you recognize it or not, your, your life is always a persuasive. Your life is always persuasive. The, the question then to ask this morning is, what is my life persuading other people to believe and to do with their lives? What conclusion is being drawn by the people that are watching you live? This word ambassador not a common word today, but if you think about it, here's, here's an old, old theologian. This is what he says. He says, an ambassador is at once a messenger and a representative. You're both. He doesn't speak in his own name, right? He doesn't speak on his own authority. What he communicates, an ambassador, is not his opinions and demands, but simply that what he has been told and commissioned to say. You're an ambassador. His message derives no part of its importance of trustworthiness from him. The gospel, it's his message, your changed life is not necessarily where we get the authority and the trustworthiness, if you know your life like I know my life. But yet at the same time, this is what Hodge writes, at the same time he is more, you are more than a mere messenger. You represent the sovereign. You speak with authority as accredited in the name of your master. Listen, people are starving for what you got. People are starving for what you got. They're, they're bored. <laughs> they're bored and they're scratching around looking for something. They want something. They need something that you have. Most don't know it, of course. They think they're starving for success. 
right? Or more money or acceptance or, or excitement, you name it. And, and you have found yourself in this generation, in this place, in the city of Tucson, in this church for such a time as this and for the people that are around you. It's not a coincidence. You are not ultimately a husband or a wife. That's what Paul's saying. You're not a mom or a dad. You're not single or married or widowed or divorced. You're not defined by how you look, but by what you wear, by the team you root for, what you do for a living, how much money money you make, where you live, by who you cheer for. Listen, your identity is not found in your gender. The world's looking. Your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, you're not defined by your past. As an addict or an alcoholic or a victim of abuse in one way or the other, you're not what your counselor says you are or your genetic makeup of your past history says. You're not what your supervisor at work says you are by your present performance. You're, you're not what your parents and teachers say you are. And that's dangerous with kids in the room. You're not, young people, you're not what your parent and teachers might tell you are based on your future potential success and performance in this life. Listen, no, you are in Christ. Christ in you, he's your identity. And listen, don't don't let the world steal that from you. Christ in you, Christ now and forever, that's your identity. You have a new identification card, which leads to an entirely different perspective and purpose and goal and mission You're an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal through you that the world might be reconciled. If I could invite the worship team up. Listen, listen, marvel once more at the, at the, at the mission of God. The dead are alive, the lost are found. He loved us and pursued us. He pursued you and he's wooing you and he saved you and it doesn't end with you. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. It didn't end with him. And so we say Sovereign Grace Church of Tucson in every way, the more mature we get, the less entangled, more, more clear it gets, the less entangled in the world's affairs and the things of this earth charm us, the more our heart breaks for those that are per- perishing before our very eyes. Listen, but it's not the social ills that make you groan. You're not an ambassador of whatever program out there, some social program. It's not the loneliness or the brokenness or the sickness or the abuse or the wars or the hate. No, although they are all heartbreaking, we no longer see people the way we once saw people, but instead we embrace our therefore. Don't let, everyone, let, let, let Tucson have their own therefore. This is your therefore. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a choice, a decision. Therefore you, just look at verse 20 again. Therefore I am an ambassador of Christ, God making his appeal through me. Employ, I employ you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. And for whatever reason you find yourself here this morning, listen, don't let anyone keep you from this offer. Forgiveness for all the wrongs you've done. Every evil deed, every, every consequence, all the shame and guilt, you can exchange it all for the sinless life of Christ. 
today the offers ours all of ours for the taking believe confess come out of the shadows and allow him to wash you white as snow you think you can fix it but you can't you need a savior and that's why we exist to say it with everything we have be reconciled to god would you sing with us